Hello and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined by a special guest today. And we are going to talk all things Mariners, and we're going to react to the Mariners' loss to the Astros tonight and what that means for the future of the of the team and the rest of the season and potentially the postseason. But before we get into that, as always, a little Coyote Picnic. folks it is currently 10:55 p.m. after a devastating 8 to 3 loss to the Houston Astros by the Mariners John is not available it's 2 a.m. his time and he has been asleep for a couple hours but he he left after the uh, the show started um i'm here with Ian Smith our uh, lovely Gonzaga another Gonzaga repping friend um and he is as big of a Mariners fan as you will find, and we are here just to talk and break down what's happened over the last six games, break down what happened tonight, and what that means for the next four games for the Mariners. Um, Ian, you want to give a little introduction of yourself? Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to break this break this down and uh, talk M's, but... Um, yeah, uh, we're definitely feeling this loss, but it's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough the way these this last stretch has gone. You know, everybody's had it circled on their calendars for you know the second half of the season, the, these last ten games, and you know it just feels like we've had our heart ripped out. You know, going one in five to in the first six games um, and leaving ourselves a a, a real uphill battle to to get a spot in the wild card at this point yeah um john and i talked a couple i think i guess it was last week right before this 10 game stretch started and we basically just said they either need to go five and five and hope that they can win four against the rangers to kind of beat them out um or they need to you know win six or more games and hope that they can kind of sweep the astros under the rug and uh, now the best that they can hope for is five and five, and they need the Astros to basically go at at most one and two, so that they could tie, and the Mariners would need to win three of their next four against Texas. Um, it's it's not looking hot. the The good news is that the Blue Jays haven't looked great, so they could the Mariners could win only two of the games if the Blue Jays get swept, um, or and we have the tiebreaker against both the Blue Jays and the Astros. So if we tie record wise, we can still make it into the playoffs. Um, but it will be limping, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, not the situation we were hoping for, but um, it's good that we still have outs here. Um, yeah, so we you were saying we need to go 3-1 and one with the Astros losing 2 out of 3 to the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. or 2-2 two and two with the, uh, the Blue Jays getting swept. Yeah, basically we're two games behind the Blue Jays, so we need to make up two ground, two games ground, and I believe we are in the same boat now against the Astros, but the Astros have one less game, um, so a little, little bit more room for error on the, the Blue Jays' side, I guess, for them to lose more games, but also they have more opportunity to close it out. It's kind of a double-edged sword there. Um, so 
Let's break down what happened tonight. Um, obviously, you and I went to the game on Monday, and that was a catastrophic failure by the Mariners' offense to get anything going. Um, and then today, I was at the game, and man, J.P. Crawford led off the game for the Mariners with a home run, and it looked like everything was going well. We got Julio walked, and Suarez walked, and then uh, Teo, I think, had a sacrifice fly to move Julio to third. And it was, you know, we looked like we were kind of picking apart Valdez. I think he threw 28 pitches in the first inning. And uh, Demo had a 109-mile-per-hour line drive, and Bregman just snagged that and uh, really kind of cut the cut the wind out of our sails there, which was unfortunate. Um, but walk me through your kind of reactions to, to the first couple innings of that game and, and how it felt. Yeah, I mean, it was a, uh, you know, gave us some reason to be excited. Um with the way um, the the pitcher was struggling to find the zone, um, you know, with the the lights out performance that Verlander had on Monday, it was just good to see uh, a Houston pitcher struggle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he was really struggling to find the zone, um, and. Uh, the the home plate umpire really wasn't helping him out at all. Um, yeah, so I obviously being at the game, you can't see the strike zone. Was it, it Valdez was visibly upset? Was it pretty pretty poor calls by the home plate umpire? Yeah, it was the strike zone was pretty tight um, to start the game, especially for Valdez. So um, he had a reason to be uh, frustrated there, and it continued to be pretty terrible throughout the game. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think all know. the all the fans on both sides were booing, booing the umpire during the game. <laughs> yeah, he was he was missing a lot of calls both ways, you know, towards the end. Um, uh, but yeah, it was definitely helping us out in those early innings, um, just calling a lot of balls that were you know borderline strikes. So um, you know, it looked like we were going to get um, you know. Uh, get to that pitcher and, and get him out of the game, um, which was a good uh, a good sign. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. Um, I think we've jumped on Framer Valdez a couple times um, this season. I think earlier in the season we hit him for six runs through three or something like that and got him pulled. Obviously today we got him. His pitch count was up pretty high after four, and so I think he got pulled after that many innings. Um, it was funny, the scoreboard today, like the big jumbotron at the Mariner Stadium wasn't working. They had Ty France as the batter that, like, <laughs> for six innings of the game. It was it was all wonky and all the fans after a certain point, like they, they fixed it in like the eighth and everybody was cheering and I was like, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was definitely, it was hard to kind of keep track of everything that was going on. You couldn't see what pitches were, were thrown or anything like that. Um, so it was a lot of kind of reacting to the crowd, and everybody was a little bit, it felt like, taken out of the game. I think that was also by the Astros kind of putting it to us in the fourth inning there. Um, but let's go through a few takeaways that you had. Do um, you want to kind of go back and forth? I've got a few takeaways from the game that I want to get to, and it looks like you've got a list that we're ready to talk about. So, yeah, walk me through. Give me your, give me your first big takeaway from today and kind of the last six games. So my first takeaway from today was um – just when I saw the the Mariners lineup on Twitter, we had a feeling <laughs> this might happen. Where with a left-handed pitcher on the mound, um, that we were going to get the full right-handed bench deployed to start the game, which was true. We had Dylan Moore um, in left field, and 
um, Sam Haggerty as our DH and uh, Jose Caballero playing second base. And for the most part, it worked out. Um, Demo had a really good game. Yeah, he did. You know, he hit, he had a base hit. He had a uh, unfortunate line drive that you mentioned earlier that could have easily been a single. Um, and um, you know, Caballero had wasn't super impressed by his at bats, but overall it worked out pretty well. Um, and Kelnick, Rojas, and and Ford played pretty well when they got in um, at the end of the game. Um, so overall, I think that strategy actually paid off. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah. I think that worked out all right, despite uh, many Mariners fran- fans cringing when they <laughs> saw that lineup. Yeah, I could, I could feel you kind of leading into the next part of that, and we'll get to how everybody else played. Um, but I, I would say, yeah, Demo had a really good game. Obviously, the, the big double... And a hard line drive at Bregman, which he caught, like I said. Um, and then he gets taken out for Kelnick after, I think, three at-bats or two at-bats for once the righty gets in. Um, and, you know, it for, for all intents and purposes, the platoon worked. Um, Caballero, I think, was just in because he's got that beef with Framber Valdez and Martin <laughs> Maldonado. But uh, I, think, I think, you know, Haggerty had a good at-bat. He got on base. I think he had that double as well. Um, yeah, I think the platoon kind of worked. And Jared had that hit. Ford didn't really look super impressive, but he worked a walk late in the game. Um, and then Rojas had that nice, was I think it was a deep single mm-hmm. to, into right field uh, in the eighth, I believe, as well. Um, so, yeah, I think the platoon actually worked. Uh, one of the takeaways to kind of lead off of that is Julio had four strikeouts. Teo had, I believe, three strikeouts. You can't have two of your top four hitters with seven strikeouts in a, in a do-or-die game. That just can't happen. Um, last time I checked, the team had struck out 14 times. Uh, it probably went up, because I think I checked in the seventh. But <laughs> <laughs> it was They were not looking very good. And I think when, when it comes to Ateo's approach, I think it just looked like we couldn't hit any sort of off-speed pitch. It was kind of the way I was looking at all of the... Um, Looking at all the at-bats, Julio was getting fooled by the splitter there by, from Norris, um, and we can talk about that kind of scuffle uh, after this. But Julio was getting fooled by breaking balls. Um, the only guy who really looked up to it was JP. JP was home run, and then he walked three times. It was just like vintage JP Crawford at-bats right there. Um, so, I don't know. T- tough to really talk about, and obviously next week John and I will probably break down if the Mariners don't make the playoffs, we'll break down kind of the season um, a little bit and talk about maybe some offseason. But for now, it's just tough to think that our two supposed best hitters from lat, or I guess that we have, that we came into the season hoping to see more from in the do or die game that we had today struck out seven times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's difficult to see. Um, the final tally ended up being 16 K's for the Mariners. Um, and yeah, it was tough to see the golden sombrero for Julio to cap off a pretty disappointing series overall. Um, he came up in some big spots this series and, and failed to get that big hit, um, to, to drive in a bunch of runs that, uh, you know, we really needed to, to break open a game or to just stay in a game. Um, so that was that was disappointing to see. Um, 
you know, Framber Valdez for all his struggles today really threw a lot of good curveballs, which, you know, was really fooling our right-handed hitters. They were swinging right through it. Um, and, um, yeah, he was pretty effective with that pitch, um, which is clearly his, his go-to pitch against the righties. Um, he wasn't throwing too many sinkers, um, or at least not leaning on that pitch as much as, um, I think, uh, people would have expected him to, but yeah, um, definitely a disappointing night from, from Julio and, and Teoscar. You bring up a good point about the curveball. I was thinking about this on Monday. Um, obviously, Verlander's longevity is attributed to both just his, you know, he had a 99-mile-per-hour fastball for 15 years of his career. But he's also had that really nice curveball. And I feel like a lot of big pitchers, I think of Clayton Kershaw's curveball that he's thrown forever now. I feel like Kirby with the curveball. I think the curveball is a pitch that more pitchers probably should utilize. I feel like a Bryce Miller type, once you figure out that he's throwing fastball slider he doesn't really have that third pitch. He was throwing a changeup today, which was working, but having that curveball, I think, is a nice change of pace type pitch so that you can really throw off the momentum of a swing, uh, of anybody's um, approach, right? Because you're throwing an 80 mile per hour curveball with, if you include that in a repertoire that includes a 95, 96 mile per hour fastball, that's a 15 mile per hour difference. That's a huge change of pace for hitters. And I really think that. Houston's use of the curveball against the Mariners, who have struggled a lot against off-speed pitching, has been something to uh, something to note and something that they've been taking advantage of recently. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree um, with Miller. That was definitely something you could tell was was missing from his uh, his repertoire today. Um, you know, one of my notes was that um, Wu and Miller. Uh, would benefit from adding a pitch that, which they could uh, throw to lefties. That would mm-hmm. be really effective. Um, it was brought up uh, on the broadcast today and, and multiple times throughout the season that um, uh, those guys have really struggled throwing to lefties this season. And part of that is that they just don't have a pitch that's really effective against lefties, or at least not a strategy that's effective. Um and you can see that, uh, you know, the curveball is a pitch that's really um, effective against, you know, uh, opposite-handed um, hitters. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think those guys would really benefit from adding some sort of off-speed pitch, um, which they could use in those scenarios for, uh, for next season. Yeah, no, I agree a lot. I think... The hard part about throwing a curveball in the major leagues is if you don't have it already, it's hard to bring in a curveball as part of your repertoire to be to be able to match the arm slot that the ball is coming through. Um, so a lot of what people do is they rely on that changeup, which I know Wu and Miller have been trying to practice, and it's kind of that third pitch that everybody's known that they've been lacking, and the reason that we had them down in the minors before this year is because they needed to work on that. And obviously with the Ray injury and Marco being out, it kind of sped up their process to the point where they had to perform. And so I think it really caught up to them towards the end of the year where they don't really have that third pitch to get lefties out. And you can see it where everybody's, you know, the left-handed hitters have adjusted. They know that a slider or fastball is coming and they can they can adjust their angle based on those two pitches and they don't really need to worry about a change-up or curveball. Um, 
But I think that's something to look forward to for the next you know couple of years is those guys developing that third pitch. That's something that Logan Gilbert worked on a lot recently. I think he really developed that curveball and changeup over this last season, or I guess offseason, and uh, it's really paid off for him this year. I think he's become much more steady. Um, but yeah, we saw it against Verlander. We, we threw the full lefty lineup at him on Monday, and we scored one run in the ninth after we got him out, finally. <laughs> um, so that's just one of those things that I think are the youthful pitchers need to need to pull out of their uh, out of their offseason trainings and catch up to the older guys on. Um, my second point that I wanted to take away from from today uh, was kind of a good thing, kind of kind of a bad thing, kind of a sad outlook. Uh, but man, baseball's a game of inches, um, and just sometimes it's bad luck. I was thinking, I was you know at the game we've got the Miller. Um, after Abreu gets on base and Miller's throwing to Brantley and it's one out, it's one to one right after the uh, the Alvarez home run, and he throws just like a perfect changeup to a lefty. It was all it was everything you could have asked for, and he gets a ground ball that just like dinks right in between the second baseman and shortstop, just like mm-hmm. barely up the middle. And I'm like, that's exactly what he wanted to execute. That's exactly what he wanted, and it was just unlucky that. They hit it right where our fielders weren't, and they got two guys on base, and then Mauricio Dubon, of all people, hits a three-run home run the next batter and just kind of ruins that. But you see that, and you think Miller actually executed the pitch really well and then, you know, potentially maybe got flustered after that where he's in a, he's in a bad spot now with one out, two men on, and a righty up where it's harder to get that ground ball out. Um, I think of the... I think it was... Oh, who's their... One of their lefties hit just like kind of a soft line drive at Ty France after he had popped off the bag on at first and Ty like jumps up and there's one out guys on first and third and I think it's four to three at that point and he jumps up and it just like ticks off the edge of his glove and I think in the broadcast it kind of looked like just a single that goes over his glove but it literally hit his glove like he was reaching up and just couldn't you know didn't have the quick enough reflexes I was watching that and you're like man if JP's there JP makes that play it's a double play <laughs> we're out of the inning <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, Ty's uh, hops were lacking a little bit there. Definitely, you know, he's the got reflexes. Hit the box stop jumps <laughs> this summer. <laughs> um, and then you think JP that ground ball at the middle that was off JP's glove. You know, just just a game of inches, and I feel like we didn't have those inches in our favor today with uh, like you know like the Demo into Bregman line drive. Just kind of sucked, but it did show that we can we can get there. It just sometimes the game doesn't go our way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- those plays were pretty disheartening. Um, yeah, I think there was probably like two that uh, you know were off the end of of uh, um, JP's glove, and then yeah, Ty had that line drive that he almost snagged. Um, I think there was a uh, a ground ball that just snuck past him on the first baseline as well. It was mm-hmm. really a lot of. Um, ground balls and soft contact that um, snook by for singles. Um, uh, yeah, especially in that uh, that fourth inning where the Astros, uh, uh, they got to Miller. Yeah, and I think um, that Topa, the inning where Brash relieved Topa and they scored a few, um, that was Topa coming in after he got the one out, pitched through an inning and was going to pitch another inning. I think he didn't get any outs. And we had a runner on first and third, and that kind of led to some com- compiling of bad luck. Um, but 
Topo looked good through an inning and a third, and then he kind of the wheels fell off. It looked like he got a little tired, which is fair. It's okay. Um, it sucks, but it's, <laughs> it happens when you when you try and get a reliever to go an extra inning and a third over what he would normally go. Um, yeah, things like that happen. Tough to tough to watch and tough to experience, obviously in this situation, but. It's it's just something something that can go wrong in baseball. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a variable sport, and yep, that's just baseball. Yeah. Any any further thoughts about your uh, your notes? Any one more takeaway you got? Yeah. Um, just from tonight, uh, it kind of felt like the uh, that um, benches clearing. Um, shouting match could have been a real turning point in the game um you know you could see where that could really light a fire under the guys and they come out and and rally um and come back uh obviously didn't happen that way and i almost feel like it uh it didn't work out in our favor you know it kind of got in our heads and uh you know that next half inning um uh, that was when Teoscar made an error and misplayed the, the line drive, uh, which should have been a single. Um, and he, he misplayed it and, um, let it get to the wall for a, a triple for mm-hmm. Bregman. Yep. Um, which led to the, uh, yeah, Topa getting bounced and, and then, um, Brash letting in the, uh, the runs there. Um, and yeah, you have to think that he was pretty fired up. Um, and wanting to make a big play there, um, but uh, it ended up being a kind of a dagger for the Mariners, which you know you could say it didn't really matter if he was on first or third. They got a bunch more hits after that, but I think it puts a lot more pressure on the pitcher having a, a runner on third. Um, no outs. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, I fully agree with that. It was definitely watching that. And in real time, it was like Julio was trying to get something in himself fired up as he was walking off. And then Naris had some comments for him. And it was just like, man, what are you doing talking to Julio right now? Like Julio's 0 for, 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and a walk. Like he doesn't need this. And then obviously he kind of tried to fire himself up, got the team a little riled up. And it, yeah, I really think the Teo error kind of took the wind out of the sails there. And uh, could it could have been... You know, it sucks to say, but could have been the downfall of the Mariners for that for that game. Um, man, yeah, it's 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 tough to really get a get a good vibe podcast out after that kind of <laughs> that kind of showing. Um, one more good thing that I want to take away from the game, um, and I don't know if it would if I would call it a good thing or just something that I noted um, over the last few games, and obviously we saw on Monday, and somebody that has just been performing is uh, Josh Rojas. Josh Rojas should be our starting second baseman. I don't think it should matter the platoon. Jose Caballero doesn't have it right now. He's two for his last 27. He just doesn't have it. Um, Rojas has been on fire, and I don't I don't really care about the platoon matchups at this point. We need to have our best hitters playing in, the, in those situations. Obviously, Demo, I like having him rotating through. It might be good to have him just DH. Derek Jared should be playing every day as well. Sam Haggerty doesn't need to be DHing right now. <laughs> He's not really a, a DH caliber player, um, and I get that they like running those right-handed bats against a lefty. But at a certain point, and I, you know, I think a lot of Mariners fans would agree that the platoon, while I like it, 
sometimes, and maybe for the longevity of a season, it's nice. Right now, Josh Rojas should be playing every day. Jared Kelnick should be playing every day. And probably Dylan Moore should be playing every day. Mike Ford and Sam Haggerty can sit on the bench. Jose Caballero can chill on the bench and come in when he needs to pinch run. I think that's just where the team's at, and obviously I don't think they're going to do that. But watching this team play, I feel like those guys need more reps than what they're getting. Yeah, I would agree. Josh Rojas has been consistently producing um, since you know mid-August, um, and you know we, we've seen him put together some really good at bats and just consistently getting good contact, um, regardless of who the pitcher is. And that's been an encouraging thing to see. Um, feels like he could definitely be the answer for the Mariners going forward at, at second base. And, um, yeah, I'd be happy to see him in the lineup more, even against left-handed pitching. Yeah, I think something something to note is that, that Ryan Bliss plays second base as well. He's a right-handed hitter. We might end up platooning two Arizona Diamondback players at second base next year, and I would be happy with that. Ryan Bliss has some good power. Josh Rojas, I think he's clear that he can hit off righties, and he has that capability to be a platoon bat because he can, we, get, we can see him come in and still perform to the level that you expect when he's not getting that consistent playing time, which is what you would want to see out of somebody in that platoon role. Um yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see Dylan Moore move more into that outfield role. We have Ryan Bliss. Maybe maybe do a Dylan Moore, Jared Kelnick kind of situation like we had today. Um, but I don't want to be relying on those platoon bats. And obviously we'll talk more about this offseason in the future, but we really need to be acquiring some bats. I think our pitching looks great. Next year we're going to be really good pitching-wise. Taylor Oscar is going to be leaving after these next four games if we don't make the playoffs. We need to figure out a way to improve this lineup and, uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem super, uh, super lovely right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of questions um, that will have to be answered this offseason regarding the lineup. Um, it will be sad to see Teoscar go. Um, you know, he's been putting his body on the line for this team, playing every day. He made a spectacular catch yesterday. Um, and, uh, uh, I think as Aaron Goldschmidt called it, a, a crash test dummy catch. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, um, I'm just excited for the next four games. We'll see if we can get some more Mariner magic um, and, you know, see what happens. All they can do is is win. Yeah. Um, and the rest will... Uh, be up to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Paul Seawall, <laughs> baby. <laughs> uh, you, you were at the game... This is So today's Wednesday, again. You were at the game yesterday, right? On Tuesday? Yes. How, was, how were the vibes for that one? Obviously, that was the one win that we've gotten over the last six. Was everybody pretty hyped? Yeah, vibes were excellent. Absolutely. Um, yeah, people were hyped. Um, just to get a lead early. And, um, you know, Kirby had it. He was shoving... Um, and, uh, um, yeah, the, the Mariners really played a, a good brand of bat or a baseball. Basketball. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun to see. <laughs> um, yeah, they know they played a good brand of, uh, baseball in that game. And we even got to see a, uh, Ty France tank to, to left center, which we haven't seen in a while. Um, since August 15th, I believe is what the broadcast said when I was listening to it. 
crazy. My my dad was commenting on this. Ty France has had like 20 home runs the last few seasons, and he's hit 11 or 12 this year. It's been pretty atrocious, his uh, his power numbers. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, his power numbers have been down. It's, it's surprising to see. He's never been a guy who's had a, a ton of um, power. Uh, doesn't really have like a power swing, more of a, you know, a contact swing. So it's not that surprising that he's hasn't, you know, in, turned into a real slugger. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's tough to hit home runs when you're, when you're hitting just hard line drives, um, and, and not necessarily pulling them, um, to straightaway left field. Um, so, you know, I feel like he could hit more if he, worked on his swing and tried to pull the ball more. But, um, you know, it might come at the expense of his average, um, which, you know, we saw go down this year as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, Ty Francis has a somewhat disappointing season. I do want to give him for his flowers for kind of coming through over the last, this last uh, couple series. He's, yeah. he's actually been a bright spot. He's pretty consistently um, gotten on base and uh, started some rallies for the Mariners. So that's been good to see, um, you know, having him produce from the, the bottom of the lineup. Yeah. I want to get your opinion. I have I have a take that I don't know that a lot of people agree with, but it's something that I think everybody, everybody's been on Ty France's ass about how he's not hitting well enough to play first base. Like, you, you know, you're a first baseman. It's not really a defensively strenuous position. And... Uh, so people that play that position need to hit. And they need to hit home runs. They need to have a good OPS, all, all the kinds of things like that. How would you feel about having Ty France be, if, if he had the same numbers that he has right now, but if he was a second baseman? Like, we could move Ty France to second base. He could be the right-handed platoon at second base next year if we got a good first baseman. He's played second base before in his career. Um, I just think, I think it's something where, obviously, as a first baseman, you want more out of him. Um, and we got more out of him previous seasons, but I still, I still think the potential is there to keep him on the roster and just move him off of first and get somebody else who's more productive in that spot. Yeah, totally. Um, it would be nice to see if they, if they're capable of doing that, finding a good bat in free agency, even at a position like first base. Um, and you know, if they could do that, I'd be definitely interested in see what, seeing what other ways they could deploy Ty France. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to see him play second base. I, I feel like his range would maybe be lacking a little <laughs> bit with that classic Ty France speed. <laughs> I also I also haven't seen Ty France throw a ball further than 60 feet to the second baseman after an out, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how that would look turning into a play or anything like that. Um, but I just, I know he's done it before and maybe it would take some work with Perry Hill. Um but I think I think it's it's a thing that could could work well. Um, yeah, I've, I was during the trade deadline. I was a proponent of getting Paul Goldschmidt, moving Ty France to second base. We've had some talks about the Mets and Pete Alonso trades with them, and maybe moving Ty France to second base or moving Ty France in general uh, off the team. But just just some options because I know there are a couple first basemen that are out there that we could use. But I just love Ty France so much as an individual and I love him on the team with JP. It's just hard to, it'd be hard to see him go just because he's had a down year. Um, anything else? We've been talking for 30 minutes already. It's been, <laughs> it's been an, an easy 30 minutes to complain. Um, 
<laughs> but I'm trying to I'm trying to look ahead and think of some bright spots that we could uh, we could think about for this off season in the coming coming weeks. Um, they're still in it. I you know they're they're one and five over their last six, and they've been against playoff contending teams. And these you know the Rangers and the Astros are good. We're keeping pace with them, and obviously it doesn't feel like it because we've lost them. But all in all, I think the team is kind of where it's been like you know where it's supposed to be all things considered like the Astros are a better team than the Mariners I'm going to give them that the Rangers are probably a better team and better constructed than the Mariners um and so the fact that we're in this is a good thing and I know a lot of people are going to say hey we should expect more and we do but it still sucks but sometimes you got to kind of accept your fate Yeah, and that is our that is our fate over the next few days. We're going to be cheering, obviously for the Mariners, but also for the Diamondbacks and the Rays, which you hate you hate to see. You love to see a game clinching home run by Cal Raleigh with two weeks left in the season to not have to worry at all. But sometimes you got a scoreboard watch, and sometimes, as Mariners fans, we know sometimes it doesn't go the right way. It's happened <laughs> quite a few times over the last uh, few years. Um, so yeah, we we tried to. We said it last week. We tried to make sure the Mariners were in charge of their own destiny, and that did not happen. Other people are now a part of it, and we've got to rely on them. So, looking ahead, I guess all we can say is go Mariners over the next four games. (laughs) Go M's.